for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. And I'm Dan Baltic. And we're here today with uh, Manuel Marrero, who is the editor-in-chief of Expat Lit, uh, which is one of the prominent, uh, uh, nowadays, one of the prominent publishers of what Matt Forney has called the outsider literature scene. We occasionally have referred to it as dissident literature, which may be a more specific thing. I'm kind of curious what Manuel would would describe whatever this scene is as, but uh, suffice it to call it the outsider lit scene. Expat lit is a major player. And um, again, Manuel is the editor-in-chief. And um, Dan and I uh, have both, you know, we, I think we've both been mutual followers with Manuel for, for some time. Um, I've obviously been a follower of Expat Lit for some time. And uh, I think we kind of just wanted to have you on to sort of meet you and, and learn more about you and Expat Lit. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, and I appreciate you having me on so unprepared. Um, feel free to ask me anything you like. Uh, as far as your first question, I like dissident lit. I like counterculture to refer to it. Outsiders just kind of like a little played out, I think, at this point. Um, but like, you know, I don't know that like any labels really like capture uh, everything stylistically that's going on. Um, so I, I don't know what to call it. It's 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 the alternative to the cultural hegemony of like big press propaganda, basically. Absolutely. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons we started this pod is to discuss literature that's outside of the traditional publishing world because as you say it is propaganda and like you look at the new york times's top 100 list and like it's all you know uh well very uh very propagandistic titles and uh, uh nothing that uh, really seems honest or um of you know, and I, I've I've never heard heard of any of this stuff either. Like I was on the New York Times uh, yesterday, looking at a profile of a book that sold a lot, and was just kind of like dumbfounded because I had never heard of the author. And the story was very much like a sort of uh, like a token like identity piece, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, sorry, it wasn't a piece; it was a book. But anyway, I haven't heard of these people i don't know their books i haven't read them or anything right and i yeah. I, I tend to avoid this the swirly color books uh that <laughs> the, the uh the sort of mfa mill right products of it all yeah i mean it, it seems like the the community of uh readers trademark or like the uh you know the the the, the, the very insular community of people who or not community but 
the, the set of people in the United States that are like view themselves as readers and, and read these books that are on the New York Times bestseller list seems like it's an increasingly sort of insular and um, politically homogenous group. Uh, I mean, there's always kind of been, obviously, there's always been a, a literary establishment and a sort of uh, liter, you know, there's always been kind of sort of literary snobs who, you know, hone in on, you know, a certain set of books, the New York Times bestseller list of it all. But it really seems like over the past 10 years, as readership in the general population has declined precipitously, like this kind of group of people who are reading the New York Times bestseller list and the group of people who are reading the books reviewed by NPR is this increasingly, again, yeah, increasingly insular and ideologically and culturally homogenous group. And it's just, as you say, it's the swirly colors, uh, you know, the MFA graduates, the, um, and the kind of laser-like focus on the diversity of it, the, you know, little, little excursions into other cultures kind of thing and learning, uh, you know, about the, I guess, oppression of it all. Yeah. And all um, with titles like The Women in Montana Are Quiet or <laughs> something something of that nature. Yeah, usually all the reviews are paywalled. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is with, with art becoming increasingly decentralized, democratized, like, uh, you know, there's no real, like, uh, coherent canon. Uh, like, and I think it's hard to find exactly like what all the kids are listening to or what all the kids are reading these days. Like, I don't think that such a thing exists. Um, I mean, like I've been crowds yeah. of people that all like, you know, know, know about expat and that's been astounding to me. And I've been like with people who have never heard of us and I've never heard of any of these books that supposedly sell, uh, like, you know, well, and you know, as reported by like, the New York Times or or whatnot. And I, as I understand, a lot of that is like really fake. They like basically yeah. pay people to to buy the books and to create a narrative surrounding the book before it even drops. Um, and yeah, most of it is like kind of man. I've I've ventured into some of like the bigger ones uh, a few times, and usually the nicest thing I can say about a book like that, if it's like not uptight. Uh, is that it's just kind of mediocre. Uh, so yeah, mm. I mean, I don't know. I don't think that quality is a criteria. I don't think, I think that it's it's focused on sort of trying to get the right kind of uh, like marginalized, like protected identity or something to give the right kind of experience. You know, if if I was, uh, if I was like, you know, given an advance to, to, to write a book or something, maybe perhaps they would want me to write an, Im an immigration story or something like that. You know, I'm not exactly the right kind of uh, Latino, <laughs> so to speak, you know, or, or, or la mm -hmm. Latinx, as they say. Uh, right. Yeah, well, there's this notion that diversity sells in the, you know, mainstream sort of publishing world. And, um, and maybe, maybe they're right on some level because i think it's kind of this predefined audience which is pretty white in a lot of cases educated you know uh, probably skews pretty female or i actually would venture to guess skews very female these days yeah. it's basically white women <laughs> with college degrees uh reading these kinds of books that are produced and it's like working from home the, you know 
Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> you know, um, many email jobs. Yeah. Right. Oh, we're not, the, we're not supposed to is... use that term, right? Like email jobs. Really? Is out is that that and ivermectin will get us cut cut off the yeah. air? No, I <laughs> I heard something about. Uh, um, I don't know if you guys know like Jack from Perfume Nationalist. Yes. He was. For sure. He was just like. Uh, you're not allowed to use email job if you have any uh, if you're dirt bag left or something like that. Uh, I'm, I don't consider myself dirt bag left at all, but uh, I am something of a political orphan. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. that uh, I don't know that he'd feel comfortable with me using the term email job, and it feels like maybe he came up with it. But I'm gonna say work from home. Yeah, a lot of people who are just sort of like willfully like out of touch, uh, just sort of like taking in these like bestseller lists they have subscriptions to new york times they go to book clubs they go to readings uh and they sort of just like reinforce uh their like narratives about literature and i I mean i guess i am like kind of blissfully ignorant because i just don't i don't really like pay attention to any of it i don't even really pay attention much to the immediate like small press competition because I, i just feel like it gets my head in a in a weird place um but especially like you know the bigger stuff like i just i've i've never heard of it and like it it, they uh they kind of like trigger so many red flags that i just i don't end up like even picking it up you know yeah i mean i I feel like a lot of these mainstream books on the new york times bestseller list and such are you know these are these are tokens to indicate that you belong they're tribal tokens almost it's like i i belong to this educated class of liberals and see me reading this on the subway and you know i'll tweet about it whatever you know to an look to an extent i think that a lot of art is tribal and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that i just think in the case of literature today it's a particularly pernicious and sort of boring uh you know tribe shall we say of a certain liberal elite circle jerk uh at this point very played out narrative well it's a, it's a glass house too you know it's a it's a pale horse shuddering i mean like more than ever it's 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 just increasingly apparent that they these uh, institutions don't necessarily command much visibility um they don't necessarily sell like books as well as like the small presses do um i mean i would like to see some of these numbers to back up these claims uh of like you know but like you know as far as as far as uh as i know they offer these completely disproportionate advances and that's their biggest flex is that they just have like endless they're just endlessly bankrolled by institutions and don't have to make a profit they can bungle the promotion campaign uh you know it's like i've i've seen uh i've seen authors uh who had big publishing contracts go on and release through small press and do a better job selling their books and promoting their books through small press than through the, you know, so-called museum, what Dave Hickey would call a museum, which is, you know, really outgrown the definition that he gave it. Uh, yeah. Like not surprising because you guys actually have to make money. Right. And as you say, That's these big, you know, corporate publishers, like they're, you know, with their literary fiction imprints routinely lose money and are designed to do so. Right. They're designed to promote an agenda and not you know sell books exactly yeah and we're like we're writing to fight over every margin i mean we're like thinking like business people and uh that doesn't like really sit well with them uh and uh 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's like a lot of people will look at what I'm doing like it's some kind of boutique hobby, but for me, it's like life and death. Like, you know, it's it's uh, art. Art is important, and it should be important. Uh, it should be like kind of inseparable from what you do in in your real life. At least that's how I think of it. Um, but to each their own. And uh, you know, like we we shouldn't be so like removed via like publicists and agents and whatnot like you know i i uh when i put out a book by somebody i like to become their friend you know i usually they are my friend but i like to have like a, a like a number of conversations with them in real time over the phone and stuff like that to really like sort of like you know not it sounds invasive like get in their head but like you know to understand where they're writing from where they're coming from so that we can like do a good interview and then be on the same page when we're promoting and stuff and then promotion itself it kind of attention, you know, attention guides itself. Uh, my uh, friend Barrett Avner would say, and I agree with that. Mm. And uh, he also said, "Stay out of the results." I agree with that too. Uh, yeah. So, like, yeah, I mean, I think it's just what people are attracted to with small press is just uh, the organic, like, nature of it, the hands-on, like, personal touch, the human aspects that have been sort of ferreted out of. Uh, like big industry publishing, you know, everything just seems like this kind of like soft focus grouped, uh, like caricature that is right. Yeah, there's a lot of middlemen that you're always going through, uh, with the in the mainstream world and expat, as well as Terror House and some of you know these other presses in our sphere, uh, do a really good job of allowing, I think, voices to kind of reach an audience much more directly but uh, this might be a good transition if you want to just comment briefly on the the origins of expat like how long has it been around is it your first venture into publishing how did you end up here <laughs> that kind of question uh i've been doing this for about 10 years um expat was on my lips as early as like 2010 and then by 2011 uh we had a uh, a small website called expatlitj.com, which doesn't exist anymore. And we would just publish writing periodically from like uh, a, lo a lot of uh, musicians actually. Uh, back then I was like sort of uh, like, I would hang out with musicians and a lot of them were good writers and they had only like a passing interest in publishing. Teresa Smith and Eric Cecil, whose books I ended up publishing were some of the first that caught my eye. And I was just like, you know, not only is nobody like willing to put this out, but the writers themselves are resigned to not really like take it seriously. So we wanted to make zines. Uh, originally, that's how it started. It wasn't like meant, I could never have imagined that it would have gotten this far, but where we are now, but um, it started with zines and our first print issue came out in 2013, March, 2013. We still have copies of it actually surprisingly. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've done uh, three other issues since then. And then like expatpress.com in its current incarnation, I believe took off in like 2016. And that's when we started like going hard with like single author volumes, books and things like that. And, and then the, uh, the, the features rotation, which became daily uh, when the pandemic started uh, and we're winding down finally, I think. But I don't know. I, I hope that answers your question. No, definitely. Uh, it's interesting that that musicians sort of played an early role in being early submitters and publishers with Expat. Um, it, it makes sense aesthetically. Uh, there, I, it's this is a very over 
I'm trying to avoid saying that expat has a punk aesthetic. That's an overdone piece <laughs> of terminology, but certainly it's a, you know a little bit reminiscent of that kind of DIY uh, basement show notion. Going back to the idea of uh, you know art going straight from the artist to the uh, to the viewer to the reader. Um, that's something that uh, I I don't know what the current state of the music scene is. I'm not really plugged into it, but historically the music scene, the music industry has had that little that sort of bleeding edge of, of a more direct, um, you know, performer audience relationship. And in literature, as we sort of discussed, there's always been this thick wall of middlemen in the publishing industry, but presses like expat, um, you, you know, kind of bring that much more direct, you know, basement show sort of feel. And that's, I think that's, um, what I see as, as part of your aesthetic. Sure, yeah. It's a very, like, kind of Spartan anarchist flyers. DIY, obviously, this is, like, our background. And the music thing is, uh, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily, like, you know, rush to call us punk. and But it's a fair, like, sort of, uh, like, free association. And I think, uh, like, the music thing is interesting to me because uh, I've been in bands, and a lot of writers that I know that have been in bands have this, this uh, have sort of sublimated uh, this this notion of performance, like you said. Uh, when it comes to readings, uh, Expat has put on uh, five events this year, and uh, I've like sort of deliberately, but maybe not explicitly, tried to redefine like what a reading is. Sort of like you know, I don't want this association when people hear reading, they think it's like this boring hoity-toity affair at a bookstore with like, you know, creaking like desks and tables and like, you know, just like this sort of like uptight affair. Uh, I, I like, whereas like the events we've put on have really resembled more like punk or hardcore shows or something. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've tried to call them shows because I think it's more formally correct to, to sort of like perform, get into character orate, you know, like, the book should be like a ball of light in your hand, you know, you should, and, and yeah, you should have like this, this relationship with the audience that I think uh, people in bands tend to get more than uh, like, you know, the, the Victorian poets of today. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. No, I'm uh, kicking myself because I, there, there was an event in LA where I live that I unfortunately got held up at work and uh, not held up, like held up in a fucking gas station with a gun. But I mean, I, I got, <laughs> Uh, I, I yeah I unfortunately missed uh, Elizabeth Aldrich's uh, reading. Uh, but oh, you're it in seems LA. Like I am in LA, so you know, do keep in touch if there's more events like that down the line. Uh, oh, I thought for some reason um, y'all were based out of New York. But... Well, I well, we am in that, New yeah. York, and oh, I cool. actually wanted to uh, ask about expat was uh, seemingly involved in uh, NPC fest and uh, angel fest yeah and I just wanted to you know see how how did that go and, and what do you guys have to say about that um, angel fest was a, a glorious train wreck um, it was <laughs> it was uh, like it it was the best and the worst of all the experiments we've done with uh, like readings it was just an incredibly large crowd and uh it was sort of like every kind of people people obsessed with finance art uh like you know uh hollywood cretans um there were uh a lot of people there um 
you know, from different like intellectual backgrounds and career backgrounds. And it was huge. It was loud. It went on way too long. It was a marathon. I'm actually writing work currently. I haven't said this uh, like publicly yet, but uh, I'm working on a new novel and I'm like sort of writing a, a fictionalized version of Angel Fest, because, uh, sort of like magnifying the monstrous optics of it. Uh, and, awesome. And like, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about uh, Berserk lately and particularly like the Eclipse uh, uh, saga of that. I don't know if you all are into anime, but anyway, like mm-hmm. it really felt like we were fighting evil that day. Um, I mean, somebody died at the thing. Like, oh, it, wow. yeah, like there was like an over, I mean, there was a lot of like tragedy and really like kind of cursed heavy energy, but also like just exuberance and like, you know, getting through it, you know, Antifa picketed it which was interesting like i did hear about that it's yeah crazy. they broke they got in and like and i just like we were getting like the most murderous scowls and i mean it was just like <laughs> it was really so the answer is it was angel fest was incredible i mean like i heard from impartial parties that it was the best reading they've ever been to like by far uh yeah like this is crazy for a literature reading like right. as you say there's never typically been readings like are in bookstores with red wine and I mean, this is like off the wall. Yeah, completely off the wall. There never been anything like that. There might never be anything like it again. I mean, we'll see. Uh, but it, like, I've never, I never thought personally that I would be like, you know, standing next to like uh, uh, Moldbug, like watching other readers read. That's definitely not something that I ever thought uh, would happen when we were like posting quotes, uh, by him on like anonymous internet forums in the early 2010s and stuff like that. Uh, and you know, just like rubbing shoulders with all these people associated with NPC fest, which was a much bigger like thing than, than expat. Um, and like, yeah, I mean that, that all started with, uh, meeting, uh, Anne Manov, and she basically just said, uh, would you read with Moldbug? And I said, yeah, of course. And she was like, really? Okay, uh, could you like ask a few people that? And that is literally how I invited everybody to read at, um, at Angel Fest. I was like, would you read with Moldbug? And awesome. a lot of people said yes, and I was really happy to have them. Some said like no, and I don't know, it was, um, but yeah, that's how it that's how it all came together. It was crazy. I don't it was definitely like one of the wildest uh weekends of my life and well, this was back in October, right? Yeah, it was October 23rd yeah. was the Angel Fest event. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. And and just for everyone is personality girl, right? Yeah, that's her. On Twitter. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. Um I mean, Manuel, you've described yourself as a political orphan. Um, obviously, uh, you know, there's the, the relation with Moldbug and some of these other characters. Uh, Matt Forney has a kind of dissident right background. Mm-hmm. Again, you've described yourself as a political orphan, so I'm not trying to get you to label yourself politically one way or the other. But I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious for, you know, there, there is, I won't even call it ideological, but there is, uh, at the, right at the beginning, you know, I said, I like, is it, is this outsider lit or is it dissident lit? And you opted for dissident because there is a kind of counter hegemonic nature to the project. So yeah, I guess I'm it's, curious. It's the counterculture uh, for sure. Like, 
Yeah. You, um, I presume, like many of us, you've probably been interested in literature for a while. Um, yeah. <laughs> where did the kind of counter-cultural or counter-hegemonic aspect sort of slip in? Was that sort of a seamless thing that maybe happened online, or um, was that sort of always part of uh, the literature you I, were attracted I, to? I think when, uh, like, sort of the, the culture wars were intensifying by around, like, 2017 or something, expat always sort of like took a hard line um like on free speech like we've had to i mean like tech censorship is completely out of control and uh you know the kinds of things that i never thought i'd like you know it's as far as like being a political orphan i've just like sort of like come and like i've always sort of been like i I'm, i'm not allergic to different perspectives and uh, I don't really know that anything in politics is really anything but a LARP at this point. Like, mm. right? I mean, yeah. it's like, like, what am I, I? I would say I'm like a Washingtonian Republican. Uh, like, it's not. I mean, just almost like as a glib joke. Like, I guess, I guess you could, if you want to, like, just out me. Like, you could say that, like, I'm a post Bernie bro or something who uh, was like radicalized by uh the unhinged like left and found myself mm-hmm. uh sort of you know making friends with a lot of the right um and uh, it, the reason i i mean i don't know it's a big topic i think that that i don't really necessarily mm-hmm. think that the right is uh is is really like getting the vacuum that they could fill right now like there's uh absolutely and i don't i don't there's nothing i don't consider expat political at all um and i don't consider myself political i hate politics i mean generally speaking uh but i'm going off on a tangent i guess what i'm saying is that yeah no it's good this is always this has always just been about um like uh like freedom of expression and uh you know me and like william duria from misery tourism who is like you know, like William is like, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he's basically like a lib, you know? And like, mm-hmm. so I get along with like all kinds of like self-identifying political people, you know what I mean? I wouldn't politically identify one way or the other, uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, like it's it's uh, it's a real shame. I mean, the, the, the left completely lost the, that, that sort of battle, I think. I think it's like things like cancel culture or in on like suicide watch. I think that uh, people want uh, people people want the kinds of things that they're like they're being told that they're not allowed to have these opinions, not allowed to read certain things, and that just makes me like real defiant and want to like double down on it, you know. Plus, like I just yeah. I, I just really don't like these people. Um, <laughs> They they have this like really like militant sort of like insectile approach to try to like, trying to like cancel you and you know like they they uh, engage in these like smear campaigns. It's like really like weird snitch like uh po- like postmodern online behavior that just like doesn't. I spend very little time online these days because. Like, honestly, like a lot of that stuff just kind of ruined it for me, especially after the pandemic and, you know, the acceleration of all like this atomization. But yeah, I don't know. I hope I've sort of answered your questions. 
No, no, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a great answer because uh, it, these are strange and exciting, I guess. That's the positive spin. These are strange and exciting times we're living in, and it's kind of hard to define what exactly is kind of happening in the culture and in the political culture and in the, you know, in, in counterculture and, and as far as it relates to politics. Um, it's, it's a realignment yeah, of sorts along like A realignment, cultural. but also like... Yeah, definitely. Definitely a realignment, but also I feel like the realignment hasn't totally settled yet. Like, we're still kind of in the the cloud of dust, and it's... Yeah, I mean, there's no need to define oneself necessarily as, like, politically right or left with some of this. It's like, it's just... Yeah, the realignment is so strong, and the forces which... It's not even, like, so much that, oh, like, we need to be able to talk about X, Y, and Z. It's, like, literally just the, you know, the, the openness and the comfort... You know, people need to feel that they can express themselves yeah. and from the left you have people who you know are just yeah. completely the antithesis of creativity with regard to that like and, what we know is that you you can't really be a member of the establishment a card carrying member or lib and like an artist right now because free speech and the ability to express yourself is outside of the mainstream so yeah, I mean, I think like that's certainly the process that Matt and I have gone through, and it, it sounds like the process that you've gone through as well, Manuel. Yeah, I mean, not not to like draw a line or anything, but if if you're like like part of the literary establishment, like you basically have like no business writing poetry. I mean, it's yeah. if you've had like a lot of things like handed to you. I mean, there's like a subtle like rage and i'm paraphrasing a lot of my friends a lot of people that i really admire online uh you know it's like it's it's very high iq um to to be to engage and have a willingness to be engaged um and like i i think it's like also um just like writing is something that's so elemental and happens mm -hmm. uh should happen like for like you know, not, not for the reasons that they tend to happen, which like in MFA circles uh, with the Academy and uh, with like, you know, big publishing with like front loaded advances and like uh, kind of like a cart before horse, like marketing campaigns. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think that uh, that stuff is like real. I think a lot of what my preoccupations these days is just kind of like parsing out what little is left that's like actually real so much of the publishing industry when i say like it's a glass house it's just like completely fake everything from yeah. like the reviews to like the the book sales um like the the spin i mean and it's becoming more and more transparent you know when you have like these these huge books like, i kind of don't want to like name names even though i probably already have but it's like you have these huge books let that, that seem to get uh, like, fuck it, I'll name names, like, you know, <laughs> fuck, fuck Boy by Sean Thorke and Rowe, like, you know, 200 grand advance, uh, if you look it up on Twitter, it's got, like, almost no engagement or, um, you know, attention, uh, I think Sam Pink did a good job, I mean, his move was to sort of, like, take his indie cred away, and I think he sort of did that, and that audience isn't going to take the book seriously and the book is exactly what i'm talking about by the pale horse shuddering it's this caricature of like uh basically like masculinity 
as it's like as as this agenda as the propaganda agenda machine like allows you know as far as it allows so it's it's like tweaked in such a way where it's acceptable you know like to be this like sort of like womanizer uh you know like who's like very reflective about masculinity in the age of trump and late capitalism and all that it's got all these like buzzwords attached to it um yeah, absolutely. And, but, but the thing that's interesting to me is just how uh how fake it seems like uh it doesn't seem like it has any actual genuine support outside of like his friends you know like um yeah and, and it's like and and there's like 200k invested in it and i just wonder it's coming out soon like I'll, i wonder how it'll do but. yeah i mean if i had to describe the sort of cultural and political realignment that we've been discussing and it's, it is hard to define but it seems like it's it's increasingly this you know some would so we're moving beyond right versus left in, in certain respects in other ways not but in certain respects just kind of culturally that distinction is getting fuzzy um and some people would say like I, but i think it's oversimplistic to say that we're not like going towards like the haves and the have-nots that's the other sort of narrative you hear i think what it comes down to is like you have people who and especially with the COVID of it all where we moved even further away from economic issues and that kind of bread and butter stuff and more towards like <clears throat> will you wear a mask what, you know, what, will you get your third vaccine, etc. Which, by the way, I'm not even a COVID skeptic per se, so I'm not saying one thing or the other about that. The point I'm trying to make is the realignment looks a lot more like, are you willing to hit X, Y, and Z shibboleth, sort of subscribe to this narrative, this overarching sort of mainstream narrative, you know, inflected with, you know, the, the influence of the alphabet organizations, etc., you know, will you buy into that? What Moldbug calls the cathedral. You know, there's other terms that other people have. Um, or are you somehow at odds with that? You know, do you, do you prefer, you know, for, for reasons of ideology and politics uh, or even just for cultural reasons or even just because the whole thing seems sketchy? Um, you know, do you prefer to stand outside of that in some capacity? Um, and I'm, <laughs> I've kind of, I, I went on my, uh, I guess a tangent there, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah. no, I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you're touching on a lot of like big topics and I guess I'm just gonna sort of, uh, like I, 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 uh, I, I wouldn't say I completely co-sign like the neo reactionary analysis of power, but, um, like, uh, as far as, um, yeah, I mean, uh you read the news these days for the narrative you don't read it for like information you know and uh like there is a sort of like totalitarian narrative being disseminated uh and uh there's a lot of like symbols of obedience to this sort of narrative as well uh, uh um there's a lot of fuckery with the culture wars where you know people they, they want us to sort of like be divided uh over like meaningless things the reason i say that politics is kind of a larp is because so much of what these like extremist political gurus or, or like people want like it's not something that you can vote for on the right or the left you know what i mean so right. it's not really like, yeah. actionable like in any on any level so it doesn't like really like matter but but the narrative and, and what you subscribe to 
is like sort of the important thing here because we're, we're more vulnerable and susceptible uh, than ever to a kind of like media psyop that is uh, totally inclined to make us like, you know, docile and um, just sort of, you know, knee jerk yeah. with what, what how we Uncle Yarf would call them gigaphone. Yeah. And there's a class war narrative as well, but I agree that it's like reductive, you know, that like that between the haves and the have nots. And that, I mean, there, that's probably like more like clear, I think, than like something like a, a culture war or whatnot. But like, uh, yeah, I don't know, to triangulate like the sort of like nuance of all this, it's not just about like haves and have nots, it's about people who want. Uh, who want culture to answer to no one and people who want culture to sort of like fall in line with uh, like the agenda, the, the, the propagandistic agenda, which is like, um, you know, very uh, anti-Euros and anti-freedom and anti, yeah. generally just antagonistic in general like yeah and negative. increasingly so yeah, yeah. and like I mean, hostile yeah. and it's just like it's not like that's why i'm not like on twitter a lot any days because there's just like it almost seems to conduce this like combative like mode in people and oh, i absolutely. would just rather focus on the work and put that out and, the, and then the other thing is having these events has shown me uh, people are just like a lot nicer in person no one has any time for like rude people you know what i mean so yeah. like at the end of the day, like, you know, we all want to participate in polite society and uh, I don't have any dirt under my fingernails. I don't know if anyone else does, but I definitely, I want to like shake hands with people. And I think expat has always drawn a very broad, uh, like a, un, a maybe unprecedented, you know, if I can toot my own horn for a second, coalition of like readers and people who go to these readings from across the entire political spectrum, getting along, maybe, privately not getting along but all enjoying culture you know there hasn't been an astral world like riot i was sorry i was i was getting really deep into this astral world thing last night um oh yeah so like, oh, that's interesting stuff but like i've thought about it because it's like we had up to like a hundred or more than a hundred people at some of these events you know what i mean and sometimes it felt like you know overcrowded and uh but it was like nothing but peaceful and like you know, there were, there was definitely some, there was definitely an air of antagonism and conflict, but in a good way, in a situationist way, you know, if we want, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If we want to like follow that, like uh, what people are calling the vitalistic imperative, you know, we want to just go where the energy is, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and sort of like capture it, you know, and it's like, I, I have this like sort of like detached uh, conceptual way of curation uh, where I just don't feel like, um, I, like, I, I just think I, I'm not doing a service to uh, any sort of event or, or literature or anything by, uh, by doing anything other than like putting it on and letting and offering it without much comment, you know? Just kind of letting Absolutely. it happen let, in that Let situation. it happen, it's yeah. Like, just let it happen yeah. to capture, capture it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, what you described, that's that's kind of been my impression uh, of Expat Lit and, and of you, I, you know, not knowing much about it beyond that it was a publishing house that was like, you know, um, friendly towards Terror House and people on like Frog Twitter. 
Yeah. Um, sure. Not knowing much about it, that that was always my image is like this totally apolitical um, kind of place of open expression, which seemed amazing to me. Um, and it seemed like there was, you know, that's one of the one of one of a few reasons we wanted to bring on the show is just like I, I wanted to to know more. And I, I um, sounds like I'm wrapping up. I'm not. I think we still have conversation ahead of us. But um, definitely, you know, glad to to glean this uh, greater understanding of, of your work and of expat. Um, and yeah, I know it's it's great stuff. Yeah, well, we did. We found all the frogs and uh, and we welcomed them. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> No, but like, <laughs> well, other, I, I don't want to seem, I also don't want to seem like some kind of like ironist or something. Everybody that I've ever put on an expat, I, I, uh, am, am really interested in their work and admire what they're doing. So like, you know, it's never like a sideshow, like, oh, this is like some like fringe character that's going to piss a lot of people off. I, I will, no. I will say. Oh, it doesn't come across like that either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I will say that some people I've worked with were like that. Like some of the, uh, the people at, NPC fest. I I hope like, you know, no one uh, gets mad, yeah. mad at me for this. But I'm speaking freely. It seemed like a lot of the um, like the drive behind that was just like, how do we piss off the liberals as much as possible? Right. Um, I mean, that was kind of yeah. That was like what the alt right was back in 2015, 2016, and that you know that had its major pitfalls. And I think that. You know, it ended up, it ended very badly for a lot of people, shall we say. Right. And yeah, there was that notion of like pissing people off for the sake of pissing people off. Uh, maybe that, maybe that has its place, um, but I very much think it's not well suited to the moment we're in now. And that the moment we're in now is in a lot of ways uh, more interesting and uh, more, more vital uh, for the production of, um, of literature as opposed to just like memeing and, and, and what have you. Uh, the other thing I was going to comment on what you said previously is... You know that notion that all politics is LARPing. It's a notion that I would have been resistant to earlier in life. Like I always, I'm kind of I, I, in in some ways I am a political person. I've always like I always like, you know, try to be positive. Like you know maybe maybe this can be done. Maybe maybe these uh, political changes can be made manifest. You know, and I, I, I'm resistant to the notion of just like shrugging it off like it's all bullshit anyway. But I mean the moment we're living in now. It's so patently obvious, as you said, that all politics is a LARP and that none of the changes that the sort of fringes on either side want to affect have really much of, they don't really seem to have much of any hope of coming into fruition now. You're better off, you're better off thinking of politics and that sort of perhaps, and I know you didn't want to co-sign on all of that. Oh, no, 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 but the the cathedral, I mean, there's definitely like truth to that, like idea that politicians are just going to you know, promote egalitarian ideas and democratic ideas and, but they're not really going to do anything. And I do think that like the seat of power is closer to like the media and, and the academy and like oligarchs and corporations, uh, than they are to like, you know, partisan politicians. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, so along with that, it's like as in as far as as one should be thinking about politics. It's you know you got to think about it in these kind of mold buggyan raw sort of just power dynamics. How how does one consolidate power away? Which is you know is what it is. And then in terms of the sort of more granular stuff, um, the type of issues that maybe animate one on a day to day basis, what have you. It's almost like it's a better time uh, to kind of 
I don't want to use the word sublimate, but uh, it's it's like almost a better time to put your more niche interests, like like find the literature in that right, right. now, as opposed to, you know, politics, which is kind of this mire. Uh, I I say this to to kind of get around, like you know, to to sort of lead to the notion that if politics is all larping right now, uh, the sort of compensation for that is that I think it's a really good time for creativity, and it's a good time to. Kind of as you said, focus on the work, focus on one's own work and, and that of you know your your friends. Um, it, it's a good time and it's a it's a it's a it's a fecund time. I'm, I'm hoping I'm using that word right for yeah, for a certain sure. kind of creativity. Yeah. Yeah, for for fun. I mean, for exuberance. I mean, like uh, you know, uh, uh, there's probably a limit to like what private things I'm I'm willing to I I should divulge out of you know, just out of the reverence to taste, but like, you know, my girlfriend is a liberal and like, I like, it's just, she, you know, like we, we get along and we're so compatible in like these fundamental ways. And we make jokes about the sort of things that like people get really angry about, you know what I mean? Like she'll say that, yeah. Oh, or are you hanging out with the alt right? You know what I mean. And I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call her like my little libtard, you know. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so we've like fetishized it and like it's, it, you know, made humor out of it. And like, that's awesome. And and it's like, it's, uh, you know, like she, she's not humorless. And uh, I don't think that people. I think there's a benign banality to it that gets missed. I think with a lot of like, uh, like to be fair, with a lot of like people on the right online who see like life as kind of like this like battle for the soul of America between like you know, <laughs> demonic and angelic forces and things like that. Like actually, I, I've like I, I've met people who work at like New York Times and Paris Review. I've had friends that I've grown up with, and it's a lot more benign and banal. Then you might like think at least at that level you know what i mean there's a machine definitely yeah. operating behind like them that is like extremely like abstruse and alienating but like uh but ultimately you know i think like our differences are pretty benign it's just a question of like i, I don't know the whole like mask pro mask anti-mask thing a lot of like people who are pro maskers are just doing it out of politeness and like you know somebody like me maybe not doesn't value politeness that much maybe we i value like civil disobedience more or something in this case you know uh but like mm -hmm. uh it's it's not uh like we don't it, it's it's like always ask like qui bono who's benefiting from like these polarizations the uh these like can we all come together and just like sort of appreciate good art you know, like, mm -hmm. and uh, sort of eliminate all these like toxic things that uh, just like that kill it. I mean, that that have like that ruin it. That just like are are you know they're anti art, anti like uh, inquiry, anti engagement. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah. I, I guess I'm again. I'm just like circling tangents now. But um, no, no, wanna, it's all good. Want to yeah. pick up from that? Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Um, I mean, this might be an okay transition to talk a little bit about, um, I just want to, I almost should have done this earlier in the show, but just wanted to comment on my familiarity with certain, certain people that expat is publishing, um, and, and sort of ask, I guess, 
what kind of uh, what kind of fiction expat is looking to publish for for any of our listeners. But before I ask that, I'll say like um, you know my my relationship with, with I I, w- I wish I'd read more expat titles than I have. I admit, and I kind of in the new year, I hope to read more, and I hope that we have more um, expat writers on on this podcast. Absolutely, I, I, Elizabeth Aldrich's book. Um, Precious little things. Is that what it's called? Ruthless Ruthless little little things. Ah, of course. Ruthless little things is has been on my reading list for a while. Um, But I think the first book I ever read um, from from expat was uh, James Nolick's The Moon Down to Earth. And I also mean to read some of his other tales. He actually blurbed my book that I published with Terror House. Um, And then also just to comment on the sort of Terror House relation, you guys published uh, Calvin Westra's book. Yes. Uh, somewhat recently, right? And he's a Terror House alum, so as uh, as one can see, uh, you know there 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 is a kind of rich network, I think, between Terror House and Expat, and you know between all of us. But yeah. to circle back, um, if you want to comment briefly on like what um what, what kind of fiction you're you're looking for to publish, um, you know, if you have any submission guidelines or anything you want to comment on, and just in terms of like. Yeah, what what's the future looking like for expat? Well, well, briefly, I want to comment on like uh, these sort of like uh, uneasy alliances. I mean, they're not uneasy at all. That that makes it sound more dramatic than it is. But these unlikely alliances, um, you know, I I don't think that Matt Forney and I are, are are that similar. I think I think we come together on like some things, but we found ourselves. This is part of like the realignment, you know we've we found ourselves like on the same side of like of i guess like the culture war, war of the faithful opposition to uh the, the cultural hegemony as far as like what expat is looking for to publish um i mean i'm i'm very protective of like the element of surprise so we've got like uh like a slot a slate of titles that we'll announce sometime like early next year we've only announced one so far um and like we're not really we're still kind of a ramshackle operation i don't want to speak too much like lest i jinx it or anything but maybe we'll be able to do more this next year more than like putting out like five books a year um it's it's hard to say i mean we get a ton of submissions we've gotten just a complete like cornucopia of submissions for like two years now and solicitations and uh i'd say we we reject like most of them um i, I don't really know what it is like i've always thought of like expat as kind of like a, a rorschach or like an, an inkblot like th- there's something abstracted from me about it that attracts people i know people have like looked at our logo and thought that it was like a slant nod to nrx you know like people have looked at our, our logo and thought it's like uh you know maybe like christian iconography with like the crooked cross oh, true. or whatever yeah. which which granted like i i will like admit that like um you know like certain iconography sort of influenced that but like uh my, my point is that i want i want to like there's no submission guidelines for a reason on expat you know uh other than like you know we want fiction etc like and we've run all kinds of different stuff that i think fits mm-hmm. and the criteria that goes into it is just more like can i make this an event can i promote this can i pound the pavement and and carnival bark about this basically like uh is is this something that people have an appetite for uh is this something that's missing you know we want to sort of like counter what's in vogue for instance like our next book coming out american kashayas by durbin moffer uh is 
really heavy with things like satire, which are like very out of fashion nowadays. Uh, it's it's maximalist, which is extremely out of fashion, you know. Uh, like, um, but then again, you know, we have Calvin Westra. Calvin Westra is like very influenced by like alt lit, uh, and like writes in this mostly in this like very like economic way, you know. Uh, and and he's just like an incredibly like lean editor. So I don't know that there's like it's hard to say that there's one thing that unites like all X yeah. releases. I, and I kind of like that about it. I guess if it's if it's anything, it's like um, we just we just want to put out books that no one else wants to put out, basically, um, and like stuff that's just like interesting to me of the moment. There's so much shit coming out now that like would not have seen the light of day if not for us or Terror House or whomever uh, or other small presses. Uh, you know, Nine Banded Book, Eleven Eleven, Apocalypse mm -hmm. Party. I'm just gonna throw them all in there, like it or not. Yeah. Uh, and uh like you know it's like so we have to like sort of understand that our obligation th th there's two very like material objectives that i have one of them i'm gonna crib from calvin westra i think calvin westra he's a very like humble uh like simple guy i don't want to talk too much about him but uh he he wants to create a body of work uh, like a simple body of work a canon and then and then die happy as he says and i'm gonna steal that i would i would like to do that as well and I also, the other material goal is we want to usher in the next generation of writers that are not going to be ushered in by big presses. They're going to be ignored. They're going to be silenced, you know? Um, so it, it's like on us, like the way I see it is like, this is, this is now, this is like, and, and if we don't do it now, if we don't strike while the iron's hot, like who will, you know? And so I almost feel like, like there's like a, like a moral obligation I mean, not to be self-aggrandizing or anything like that, but like no, yeah, Th yeah that's a that's an, that's an incredible answer. I mean, I was kind of kind of going to ask that too, like what if expat? I know expat does not have a formal mission statement, and by the way, I, again, I think it's great that there's an air of mystery about it. Like, what does this mean? Uh, I think you cultivate that very well, uh, but it's it's great to hear that if you did sort of have a mission statement, um, you know. I hear what you're saying. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, mystery is good, I think. Like, ambiguity is good. I relish ambiguity. Um, like, I, I think there's just a lot of freedom in that. Um, and, uh, like, in doing everything ourselves, you know, uh, I think we're the only press, um, you know, not to take anything away from anyone else, but we're the only press that doesn't use any print-on-demand services. Uh, or, you know, we don't, I think amphetamine sulfate doesn't use Amazon or have barcodes or something. Uh, we, we do have barcodes, but we don't use Amazon. Uh, and everything we publish, we do, do through a mom and pop, like brick and mortar press in, in the United States of America. And, um, and, and we're involved with the process intimately all the way hmm. through. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and again, we're like, just, we're trying to, we, we really, I really think of it as like a kind of revolution that's happening. That's just beginning. Sorry. We're just we're outselling a lot of the publishers with much more resources uh, that, than we have, you know. And we're just getting like mm -hmm. killed by overhead. But there's something revolutionary happening, and I'm waiting for the black swan. There's been uh, I know like you know John Lindsay's book High, A Body High with House of Vlad. I think is might be the biggest indie bestseller of all time. I'm not not hmm. totally sure, but it's definitely like a high watermark for like House of Vlad. 
um, like a lot of these books are still selling really well outside the system. And at, at some point, like it's going to become increasingly apparent where the energy is in art, you know, yeah. I've always been sort of like guided by like cultural momentum and the momentum is on our side. So, yeah, I liked what you said about it being a sort of moral imperative to publish these works because yeah, people do need to step up and make sure that real art gets out there. And, you know, it's great that we have publishers like expat and terror house and, I mean, I think to an extent the unlikely ally thing, or not unlikely necessarily, but um, is the fact that you're both willing to publish things that the mainstream won't. Yeah, I mean, I just want to like say categorically, you know, censorship is completely indefensible. It's a crime against humanity. I mean, it's like just uh, the, the the moral imperative comes not so much from like publishing people. That are disenfranchised, but people who are actively stonewalled, um, mm. like in places like New York City, especially, I think like you can feel it a lot more. People who are like just actively being told that what they're writing isn't like it, it. Like you know, we're supposed to like be authentic in our writing. It's the one place where we can do that, where we can like be ourselves, shine a light on on the parts of the id that we like tend to suppress, that we want to suppress in real life, you know. And it's like people are being told, like, no, that you're not the right kind of uh, queer or POC or whatever, you know, identity you want to, like, use, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, That sounds very familiar, though, though I am not queer or POC. But, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've written a novel recently. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just not the right flavor for the establishment. And, you know, that's in a way that's good, in my opinion. It's, you know yeah on the right track yeah. yeah so i don't know i guess i guess the goal the strategy is to just sort of like wait them out and see what we can do but yeah it's it's cool because it's like i'm very lucky to be able to do this and the world is very lucky that we have people like this publishing is really a full-time job and a really like difficult thing uh really like time consuming and intensive and and it's it scales like depending on like what you're what you're doing if you're using like print on demand if you're using like it's, it's so much goes into it but the fact that i can do it like gives me the moral obligation if not me you know like nature abhors a vacuum it's like it, i i don't know i can't see a future in literature without the small presses i guess like which i hesitate to call small presses at this point but because they're doing such big things, as uh, Dennis Cooper would say, man, I'm just paraphrasing anybody. If I if I ripped you off on this podcast or, or one yeah. of your one of your highly original thoughts, uh, just let me know. I'll give you a shout out. Um, but yeah, I'm always sort of like sublimating uh, what like my friends are onto. We're we're often onto the same things. You know, there's somebody else. I'm not. None of these are original ideas. There are other people having these same ideas, like all over the world involved with the same thing you know but, but this is what i've learned being in it for this long you know mm. so basically most of it is bullshit and the stuff that's authentic is so precious but, yeah, mm. yeah. So. now there was Gosh. just one uh, on, thing <laughs> i wanted to drill down on that you mentioned earlier in relation to uh to fuck boy and uh that was the idea and maybe i'm misinterpreting here but that um 
literature, literary fiction that is written by, uh, you know, frankly, straight men needs to be of, to, to be published in the mainstream, needs to be a sort of like of an apologetic tone or, you know, a, a sort of like, you know, embedded mea culpa, like, I'm sorry for being a fuck boy, <laughs> which, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, is something that like Matt and I have talked about a lot and how like, you know, if you're going to write as a straight male, like you, it, it's very hard to be honest because like, honestly, I don't feel, I'm not apologetic. I, I don't think I need to apologize to anyone. Right. So uh, that, that is a tone that is like difficult to um, get published today. Yeah. And, and as, as you shouldn't, you shouldn't be apologetic. And, uh, and yeah, the, I mean, it's like Sean Thorkin Rowe has on like on his Wikipedia profile that he's a Japanese American, you know, I mean, <laughs> like the, I know people who thought he was black, like he registers as a white male, if you meet him. Um, and yeah. it's just like, it's, it's all when you, when you look at it, it's like, there's all these little like buzzwords and like details that are in place that make this a marketable title that make it safe for them to publish. That's that's what this is about. Like, and, and the credibility is just hemorrhaging when you see all these like blurbs from people who have clearly not read the book that seem like completely just antithetical to reality. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, it like you'll like blurbs like a completely original voice. I've never read anything like, that. like or um, you know it's just like it's it's just like it's not reality. It's like we're not we're, we we see you and we see yeah. that you're like absolutely not. Um, sorry that we're not um, that you're not like you know you're not like this isn't the news media isn't really reporting reality anymore. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like absolutely it's like we really have to be so discerning now uh <laughs> and uh and yeah i mean like i think the genuine article will always sort of prevail people will always have an appetite for the genuine article even if it's even if it's kind of like to use us for that you know even if it's just kind of like to take our influences and make it presentable or something like that i mean there's a big history with like punk rock in this too how like the Ramones kind of like unwittingly invented punk rock and never had a hit album their entire careers. And uh, and then a lot of people who saw them went out and like made punk rock their own thing and, and had hits, you know, and they hated it. They yeah. hated being like blacklisted from it. When you're creating something, you can't really like know what it is, you know? And then like by the time you know what it is and are like, okay, like this is the demographic we need to appeal to. The, the time you're getting into like the corporate strategizing like element like the, the people the the ogs will get left behind like invariably yeah. you know from and they won't get that success so maybe there's something kind of like tragic about it but i'd like to be more romantic about it as well like i don't i don't like to like sort of be pessimistic uh i'm very grateful for like all the readership that we've gotten uh and like blown away by it i i could like i mean yeah, like, I could, I could certainly, we could certainly all use more money, but, like, uh, and, and the kind of money that, like, uh, people are getting as advances for their first book, you know, would be, yeah, would be helpful. Yeah, So, like, but at the same time, I don't want to, like, dwell in, in, in ressentiment or anything. Uh, like, so, you know, it's like, at the end of the day, it's to each their own. But, like, uh, you know, like, 
people are so loath to pick sides these days and i say i say pick a side don't play both sides like you know like stand for something and uh mm -hmm. be like like let people know like who you are and like all that integrity counts for a lot like um and, and you know people will remember it I, I i maybe maybe that's naive or maybe it's romantic i don't know but like um no i, I share the optimism uh, you know i think everything we've discussed today i think it really is a a, a really thriving scene in terms of creativity you know and the audience is growing and i think there is a uh, there is a warranted uh romantic sense about it yeah definitely yeah yeah it's a good place to be right now it is it's exciting i mean for the holidays i think we've all earned like a good uh like little victory lap and uh repose and stuff but i hopefully you know we hit the ground running next year and uh you know there'll be more big things happening and i don't know i mean the this the struggle will continue like there will be yeah uh it's not going to be easy i think what's i think what's happening is like kind of just getting started even though some of us have been around for longer but uh it's just like we're, we're, we're laying bare just by our continued existence we're laying bare like all the different like the shortcomings of the people we've come to expect quality content from you know even the like smaller houses that are just imprints of the bigger houses and you know like the, the there's just there's so much out there that you really got to like kind of check for like authenticity and like what they're about you know it's like there mm -hmm. so few of it is like genuine and um and like it needs to stay special to echo something that sam pink said like it's this is like so special and we need to like keep it that way like otherwise it's like not worth it because it's the only thing that's made it worth it for all this time that like writers haven't been making any money is that like the reward is the the book itself and that it's ours alone you know and it's like belongs to posterity belongs to the people that find it and connect with it and are influenced by it it doesn't belong it's not a brand to be co-opted by like big five publishing and you know sold for like exorbitant sums of money and uh it's uh so yeah i don't know i agree with that i think it's like it's something like the the things that make it worth it are are basically like life and death skin in the game for me they're not like just like a hobby i take it seriously i think you should too and anyone involved in publishing should absolutely it's uh, yeah. it's the real art the art that we make for ourselves yeah right to find the others yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. to find exactly. the others exactly yeah. and um yeah i know that's definitely a goal of our podcast as well is to kind of you know network uh not in a obnoxious linkedin way but in a way of actually like cultivating this social aspect of art and of literature um you know and meeting meeting people reading their work um and i'll, I'll just add as a plug anyone listening to this right now should absolutely go to expatletpress.com and um check out some of the titles there Ex expatpress.com yeah i'm sorry that no. i not no, it's all right anyway expatpress.com there it's, you go it's fine i know yeah <laughs> thanks uh um but yeah i guess we've gone for a little over an hour i mean we maybe maybe it's time to wrap but yeah do either of you have anything else to add um i've had a lot of fun thank you for having me on uh i have 
pretty full day ahead of me, I think. Um, but this has been Same this here. has been productive. <laughs> I appreciate um, you know the engagement and what you guys are doing, and uh, you know um, I'll uh, I don't know I don't know if there's anything more to say. I think we've said a lot. But... We have no. Yeah, this has been this a, has a been great, great show. Yeah, like really one of our better ones, I would say. Yeah. Maybe too much. Yeah, I think we found some here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, no, this was awesome. Yeah. But I appreciate it, and I appreciate you guys uh, being okay with me not ha really having anything to talk about. Uh, no, oh, no, I, this, I this it, was great. <clears throat> this was a lot. I think it kind of worked out for the best, almost. There was like this getting to know each other quality that I think is gonna, I think it's gonna play great. Yeah. Um, but before we get too meta about the podcast, I'll say uh, I'll wrap it up. Um, but Manuel, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, everybody have a happy holidays and a wonderful new year. You too. Thanks, man. Well, all right. Take care. Bye.